Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. I want to welcome all of you who are here. And I also want to welcome those who are watching from the classic service. We're glad to have you and all of you who are watching online, all of you who are catching the service, maybe as a family, you're watching together. And then some of you who will be watching this during the week or maybe listening to this in your car as you drive, we're so thankful that you're here, that you're a part of it. We're so thankful that as a church family, we can connect in all of these different ways across different medium, across different venues. And I'm excited today because as I told you last week, this is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. It's one of the most exciting chapters because it talks about a person that we don't talk about enough. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. It talks about some of the ministries of the Holy Spirit that we don't emphasize enough. In fact, I would say today, we're we're gonna talk about one of the most important things the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And yet, if I were to ask you right now to list all of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, I would reason to bet that most of you would leave this off the list. What we're gonna talk about that he does in our life, I think most of you don't even think about it because we don't talk about it enough. In fact, we kind of skip over it and move into it. And we talk about the spirit, we talk about gifts and all these other important things that he does. I think what we're talking today is absolutely vital to your daily walk in Christ, to your daily experience in that. And then if we don't really grab this well and understand this well, we miss out on a major part of how God wants to relate to us in life. Now, as I say that, some of you are kind of offended. You're like, I bet I would put it on the list. We'll, We'll find out. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter eight or pull it up on your phone uh, with that. If you're here in the room, you can use one of the blue Bibles in front of you. One of the things we're trying to do in this series is as I read along, you read with me if you can. Now, some of you that maybe you're watching or listening to this in your car, probably not good that you read along. You listen as I read. But for everybody else, if you can pull that up, Romans eight, if you're using one of the blue Bibles around 1,121, right in there, you'll, you'll find this passage. And we started it last week, this this great ministry that there's no condemnation in Christ. And we talked about how the spirit works in our life. And kind of in summary, if you go to verse, uh, look at it there in verse 12, a summary of what we've been talking about, Paul says in it, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. Now, we've been in this extended passage where where Paul's talking about, man, how do we live as Christians? How how do we live in this daily? We know we've been saved by the work of Christ, but how do we actually experience in our life, especially around this issue of sin, especially around these issues, the things I don't wanna do. And, And we saw in seven, Paul's very honest. He says, all of us struggle with this old nature, this sinful nature, the flesh. And we do things we don't want to do. We do the things that we shouldn't do. And I don't do the things I want to do in that. And and what he's walking us through is the key to this whole experience, this whole wrestling is the spirit. 
And, and so in that, you can see kind of the summary to bring us to experience the life God designed for me, I must allow the Holy Spirit to be in control. That's where we left it last week. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does it mean to let him actually be in control? What, what does it mean in life? And even when I say that, it, that can feel kind of strange. It, maybe that's a new phrase for you. How would the Holy Spirit be in control? It's not like we become zombies. Like you wake up and you go, man, if I really become spiritual, Holy Spirit's in control and he's just controlling my body in that. There's a, a part of that as we think about it. It's, it's how do I live this in two ways? And we've been talking about it. There's always a no and there's always a yes. The no is I choose to say no to my flesh or my sinful nature. And, and so even in this verse, Paul said, hey, through the power of the spirit, you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh. I don't allow that sinful nature, that sinful part of me that frankly doesn't want to do what God wants me to do, that deceives me, that convinces me, man, my way is better than God's way. And it's actually robbing me from life. In this passage, Paul said that. He goes, it's really a matter of life and death. Man, do you want to experience life as God designed or do you want to keep dying? John Owens, he was a, an old writer back in the 1600s. He, he had a phrase when he talked about sin. He said, you must always be killing sin or it will be killing you. And what he means in that is it's keeping you from experiencing that life. Now, the problem for us, a lot of us can talk ourselves into, you know, we see certain sins, but we kind of have our pet issues that we hold on to. And we go, it's not so bad. I'm in control of it. I, a great picture of this, there, there was several years ago in the New York Times, they wrote about a, a young man. He lived in a housing project in Harlem. Antoine Yates was his name. And he got into collecting exotic animals. Now remember, he lives in an apartment in a housing project, big building with that. And he kept adding to his collection. And uh, to the point that he ended up adopting a tiger cub. He named it Ming and he loved Ming until Ming reached about 400 pounds in this apartment. His mother finally had enough. She moved out to a suburb in Philadelphia. She couldn't get away far enough. And at one point, Antoine couldn't even live in the apartment anymore. He, he, he moved down to a neighbor's apartment and he would go over to the door and open the door just enough to throw in raw chickens. When authorities finally were alerted, they, they came in and they got a team with uh, high-powered tranquilizer darts. They were able to shoot Ming. They also discovered a large alligator in there as well. And, and at his trial, uh, the, the reporter noted, he, here came Antoine into the trial and he had one arm in a sling, another arm that was bandaged as well, all as a result of injuries he received from the tiger. And yet when he talked about the tiger, he was so sad. He said, Ming was my friend, maybe my closest friend in the world. And, and you look at this guy and you go, you're, you're deceiving yourself into thinking, I can control something that can't be controlled. And that's what Paul's talking about with our flesh and our sin nature. When, when we reach this point that we kind of go, it, you know, I could have this part of my life yeah, I'm, I'm gonna give this part to God. I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit control these parts, but I'm gonna kind of hold out in this area. I want you to just picture for yourself, you know what you're doing? You got your own little Ming the tiger and it's only gonna grow. 
And as much as you can think, well, it's just a part of my life, it's killing you. See, you're either killing it or it's killing you. And that's the no part. Now the yes part, he says, I choose to renew my mind daily and position myself under his leadership. Remember we talked about this mind renewal. Last week I told you about ways that you can renew your mind, ways that you can fill your mind with the things you need to fill it with in order that, that you're saying yes to Christ all the time. And as we looked at that, it's that positioning myself under his control. So we talk about the Holy Spirit. It's not that you become a zombie in that. And sometimes it's hard to think, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does it mean that he's controlling? He's controlling my heart and my mind. I'm positioning myself. I'm thinking about it. I love how James Smith, he writes, he, he said the best way he describes it, it's like going to sleep. When you think about it, you can't force yourself to go to sleep. But you can position yourself. Look how he describes it. He says, I cannot choose to fall asleep. The best I can do is to choose to put myself in a posture and rhythm that welcomes sleep. I lie down in bed on my left side with my knees drawn up. I close my eyes and I breathe slowly, putting my plans out of my mind. But the power of my will or consciousness stops there. I want to go to sleep and I've chosen to climb into bed. But in another sense, sleep is not something under my control or at my beck and call. I call up the visitation of sleep by imitating the breathing and posture of a sleeper. There's a moment when sleep comes settling on this imitation of itself, which I've been offering to it, and I succeed in what I was trying to be. Sleep is a gift to be received, not a decision to be made. And yet it is a gift that requires a posture of reception, a kind of active welcome. And so what he's describing here and, and what we've been describing, when you think of being filled by the spirit, when you think of his control in your life, there's not this point that you can go, okay, I'm filled, boom, he's there. I can't control him. Remember, he's God. But I'm putting my life in a posture, just like going to sleep. I put my life in a posture that I go, hey, fill me. I put my heart and mind in that posture of that. And so through his word, through prayer, through thinking on him, through my interaction with other believers, through posturing my heart in a place, just like sleep overcomes me, a life in the spirit overcomes us and he leads us. Now, when I do that, how does he lead us? And this is where I go back to my opening thing. When, it, when you think of the ministries of what the Holy Spirit's gonna do in our life, and being led by the Spirit, if I were to ask you, I want you to list out all the things you think the Holy Spirit does in your life. It's fascinating to me when Paul talks about this leadership of the Spirit, what he immediately turns toward of what the Spirit does in our life. Now look at it with me and read, starting in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also be, may be glorified with him. I want you to go down to verse 26 because he's picking up on the same theme of this ministry of the Spirit, how he leads us. Look in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts 
knows what is in the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And and so as we look at this, here's the fascinating thing. And here's what I would go. One of the key ways that the spirit leads us when, when you put him in control, he leads us in how we see God, how we actually interact with the father. You see the point in your notes, a key part of the spirit's leadership is how we see and interact with God as father, how we see God as father. I mean, right out of the gate, and this is what's fascinating me, because remember, we're talking about struggling with sin. We're talking about how do I put to death these old things? How do I really embrace this life of Christ? And I think for many of us, we would move, okay, leadership of the spirit, man, all right, let's deal with some sins. Let's go, come on spirit, let's, let's focus on what I'm doing wrong and how to get my, my life in gear and all these things. And, and spirit goes, whoa, 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 let's start our leadership here. How do you think about God? How do you relate to the Father? Do, do you even know how to relate to Him in the way that you should? Uh, A.W. Tozer, the writer, I've always loved this quote. He says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When, when, when you just stop and go, Think God, Tozer's saying, that moment, whatever you think of is the most important thing about you that will literally shape the rest of your life. Uh, Another theologian, J.I. Packer, he puts it this way. I want you to listen to this quote. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. Now, if you know anything about Packer, I mean, he is unbelievable writer, theologian, all these deep thoughts. But Packer says, hey, if you want to start with how well somebody really understand what, what it means to be a Christian. I think for many of us, we would immediately go, well, they need to understand the atonement. They need to understand this, all these other doctrines. Packer goes, you know, here's your starting point. How do they understand God as father? He says, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls his his whole outlook on life, he does not understand Christianity very well. And and again, I think this this point and this ministry of the Spirit is so important on the topic that we're talking about. Because we're talking about, man, I'm struggling with sin. I'm struggling with the parts of my life that I want to put to death. I'm talking about how how do I look more like Jesus? And, And Paul immediately says, here's what you've got to embrace in order to experience that kind of life change. When the spirit starts leading your life, one of the first things he's going to force you to wrestle with or want you to focus on is how do you understand God as father? And and the reason this is so important, I just, in years of doing ministry, you know, I've been a pastor 30 something years now. And as I interact with people, especially in counseling a different time, man, I have seen there's so many different ways that we can see God. And it does impact you. It impacts your daily walk. It impacts how you relate with him. Uh, For some people, they see God as a watchful police officer. He's the watchful police officer who's watching all the time and ready to write a ticket. You ever had that experience? You're driving down the road and you look in your rearview mirror and there's a police officer behind you. For me, I don't know why. I get nervous. Anybody else feel nervous? 
Like you're suddenly like, you know, you're going, am I in the lane? Hands 10 and two. And especially if they stay behind you, you kind of like, okay, what's going on? Am I going fast enough? And and you ever find me like, okay, I'm going to go like one mile below the speed limit. And man, you're working those blinkers. You're doing everything you can do because there's, there's just this sense of nervousness about, man, he, he's watching. And, and for some of you, when, when I say that whole concept of man being led by the spirit, letting him be in control of your life, for you, you know what that feels like? It feels like inviting a police officer to drive behind me all the time. And I don't know if I really want that. It's because you see God this way. For some, it's, it's even more than that. They see God just as the angry judge. You know you've screwed up. You know what you've done. And, and you know, man, if, if I were to really face it with God, he's gonna throw the book at me. Probably well-deserved. Because he's got a little bit of a temper. And he can't wait to point it out. It was fascinating years ago. I don't even know if they still have it, but uh, when, when a lot of the apps were coming out and some of the first games that came out on, on the Apple phone, one of the most popular games was this game called Pocket God. And you got to be the God over a little island with these islanders. And as God, you could decide what you wanted to do with them. Listen to the options though. Here's fascinating, when we're designing what it means to be a God, here's the options. You can throw the islanders into a volcano. You can use islanders as shark bait. You can go bowling for islanders with a large rock. You can create earthquakes to destroy the islanders' village. Everything about it means this sense of this is what it means to be God. You get to mess with them and pick on them. And yet a lot of people, it's fascinating to me. Sometimes I'll talk to people, they've been far from God and I'll invite them. Hey, you ought to come to service, come to church. And I've heard this phrase more than once where they'll go, whoa, no, if I came into a church on Sunday morning, God would strike me with lightning. Whoa, if you knew all the things I did. And there's part of him like fascinated. I'm like, uh, he already knows. He's not waiting for you to come to church. Like suddenly you walk in and he goes, what? You've been doing that? But see, this sense of God is shaping all of their interaction. Shaping some of your interaction. For some, he's a demanding boss. I, I can fall into this. I'm not saying a bad boss, but a demanding boss. That there's a lot that he wants me to do and I'm trying to stay up on it and I kind of got my checklist and when I'm going through the checklist, I check in with boss. And, and, and I could find myself reverting to this place that I think God is happy with me if I've been the good employee that did all the things that he wants me to do. But you can reach this point where it starts getting a little exhausting. Where you feel like maybe the list is longer than I can keep up with. And in those moments, you don't really want to check in with boss. Or when you know that you've not kept the list. And you find yourself pulling back. The the universal one that I found the most with different people is this one. God's a distant father. He's a distant father. I know he's God the Father, but, but he's, you know, he's out there. Don't know that he really cares 
about me or is noticing me. Or sometimes there's some distance between people and God. And unfortunately, so often this has been created because so many wounds people have with their own fathers. Where dad wasn't there. Maybe it was through divorce. Maybe it was through death. Or maybe dad was there, but he wasn't there. There was an emotional distance in it. You know, my years and years of teaching men in particular, there's a lot of us that have a father wound. And it impacts how we see God. In fact, I, one of the saddest quotes I, I read recently was from Bo Jackson. Uh, for those of you who are younger, you may not realize Bo Jackson's the greatest athlete that ever walked this planet. <laughs> I mean, he could do everything. And, and he played pro football, played pro baseball at an all-star level with both of them until he had an injury. I remember watching him when he was in college at Auburn and then when he went into baseball, the minor league team he was in would come to my hometown in Memphis and play and watching Bo Jackson hit home runs out of a minor league park was unbelievable. Listen to this quote from Bo though. He said, my father has never seen me play a football or a baseball game, not a single game. He says, can you imagine, here I am, Bo Jackson, one of the so-called premier athletes in the country. And after the game, I'm sitting in the locker room and I'm envying every one of my teammates who his dad would come in and talk or have a drink with them after the game. I never got to experience that. You, You feel that woundedness? You feel the distance? And you look at it, for many of us, we would go, man, Bo Jackson, he arrived at a level, and at a heart level, he's going, man, I got a, I got a gap here. And I, I've talked to so many people over the years, they feel that same gap, that distance. And whether we realize it or not, it is often shaping how we see God. Remember years ago, I, I was preaching a message on on having a close relationship with God, how it transforms your life. And I had a guy come down, he'd been a part of the church, came down and he goes, hey, I, I wanna get together and talk. And, and so we met and as we met, he, he goes, I hear you, you've been talking about having this close relationship with God. There's part of it that's intriguing, but he said, I don't ever wanna do that to my family. And I was like confused. I was like, wait, wait a second, how does having a close relationship with God, it's bad for your family? He said, it's horrible for your family. So I've kind of chosen I'm not going to be close with God because I love my family too much. And I was like, there's a disconnect here somewhere. The guy's name was Ben. I was like, Ben, tell me about your family growing up. And he said, well, my dad was a pastor. And I was like, oh, I think I know where this is going. He says, you know, he was a good man very faithful in his job, but very harsh at home. And boy, that, that, that's a hard environment. That, that Christian environment that is really firm in that, probably all the right doctrine, but man, an environment where it's hard as a kid. And, and as he was talking a little bit, he, he kind of was meandering all over. So at some point I was just like, hey, Ben, just 
If you were to describe your dad in, in three short phrases, how would you describe him? And he said, well, I, I guess he loved me. Yeah, he loved me. But he was always watching. Always waiting for me to mess up. And couldn't wait to jump in and point out when I did. I was like, oh, man, that's tough. And we got to talking a little more and then we moved over into just relating with God. And finally, at one point, he, again, he was kind of meandering with it. And I said, hey, Ben, if you were to describe God in three ways, how would you describe him? And he, he wasn't even thinking about it, but he started talking. He said, well, you know, he loves me. I guess he loves me. Yeah, he loves me. But he's always watching. Always waiting for me to mess up. And he can't wait to jump in when I do. And even as he said the last phrase, it was kind of like the light bulb went off. Well, that sounds exactly like dad. And, and, and in that moment, we just sat in it for a moment. I just said, Ben, no wonder you don't want to have a close relationship with that God. There's a lot more people, and maybe all of us, some of you, you, you had a great relationship with your dad. I'm so thankful. Don't hear me. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. One of my best friends, he's been phenomenally successful in business. In different fields, different companies. I mean, led, CEO, Fortune 200 company, different ways with it. One of the things I've always loved about him is he has an unbelievable relationship with his dad. And it impacts the way he sees life. It impacts how he sees God. In fact, my friend will say, because he'll do these things and these great things happen and he'll always say, God loves me. <laughs> and he knows it to his core. And I think part of the reason he knows it so deeply is dad. And so if you've had that, if you've, you've got a, a relationship with your father and it's coming up on Father's Day with that, man, don't take that for granted. But, but here's, here's what we all want is that devoted dad. That devoted dad, not a distant father, but a devoted dad. I mean, I, I know I wanted that. My dad died when I was six years old. Died in a car wreck. Went years without a dad. Several years later, my mom remarried my stepfather. He was a believer. He was a good man in a lot of ways, but didn't know really how to be a dad. Didn't know how to connect emotionally. A lot of distance there. And teenage years, I mean, you're growing up and you long for that. And they ultimately ended up divorcing as well. And there were things I didn't even realize gaps that were there until Lee and I were dating. And... Uh, she was the oldest of five kids and, and she had siblings that were all the way down even in elementary school when we were dating. And I remember coming over to her household and being at her house and watching her dad interact with the kids. And I, I can't tell you how many times I'd look up and I'd go, oh, dads do that for you? Well, that would have been nice. And, and getting this crash course of what that looks like in it. Here, here's my point with it. I think all of us long for a devoted dad, but many of us struggle with believing that God could be this in our life. 
We, we long for this, but we struggle with really believing it at a heart level, at a core level. I, I know I have, and even relating to God, I think based on those gaps with that. The thing that's probably helped me the most is having kids, getting to be a dad. I mean, I, I still remember, and we went through almost nine years of infertility and all the struggles and all the heartache of it. I still remember the day when Kate Lundy was born in Baylor Hospital. I, I remember holding that baby girl for the first time. I remember the feelings inside. I did not know I had the capacity to love like that. And as I held her, I was sitting there just looking at her and everything in me said, I love you and I'll love you for the rest of your life, no matter what. And in that moment, God said to me, that's how I feel about you. I wish you'd embrace that. I wish you'd believe that. See, guys, it is so fundamental, and I think all of us long for this. We long, but we struggle to believe that he could be that in our lives. So one of the core ministries the Holy Spirit does, you look at this passage, he shows us that God is our devoted dad. I mean, you look at the attributes of a devoted dad and walk through this passage with it. Look at this. The first one, he really wants us in his family. He says, we don't have a spirit of slavery. We have a spirit of adoption. That God adopted us, God adopted you. Out of all the ways God could have chosen to relate to us, and he still would have been a good God. If God saved us and brought us into his kingdom as slaves, he still would have been a good God. We didn't deserve that. If he saved us and brought us as just citizens of the kingdom, if he had saved us and decided, I'll make you one of my neighbors, you get to be near me, all of those things would have been awesome. But you know what he chose to do? He saved us and he adopted us. He made us family. And, and adoption, for, for those of us who have adopted children in our family, it is not an easy process. There's a lot of ups and downs that go with it. But you know what the very core of it, the very core is a parent or parents coming together and looking at a child and saying, I want you to be a part of our family and choosing to love them unconditionally in that. And, and some of you, you know what you need to hear today? God wanted you. God chose you. God made you family. Not a servant, not an employee, not somebody that's gotta go earn your worth. You're his son, you're his daughter. He looked at you in all of your brokenness and said, yeah, I want you. I want you in my family. See, we don't have a spirit of slavery. We have a spirit of adoption. Second thing he shows, he's welcoming and approachable. Look at that, that phrase in there when he says, as we go to the father and we can call out to him, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. I mean, just think about that phrase, that, that Abba is like daddy. It's like the core thing. In fact, in almost every culture, if you look at it in every language, little children have a little phrase where it's a, it's a double repeat of like Papa, Dada. And, and Abba is the same. 
is that at the core level, like a child crying out to their father, they don't know any other word, but they know how to say, oh, there's dad. That's how I can approach him. I remember when I would come home when the kids were little, I used to love it, especially when they were real little. I mean, there's nothing better. When you're dad and you walk in and you hear that, dad, daddy, daddy, they start running. You know, mom who's been there all day is like, yay, daddy, yeah, so glad you <laughs> celebrate with that. But if you're dad, you're like, yes. Now, when they come to you, especially when they're little, they're a mess. You know, you got a bunch of kids, somebody always has something. There's snot all over their face, hands are all gunky. But you never once look at them as dad and go, whoa, 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 why don't you get your life cleaned up? And then we will interact, child. Now, what do you do? You pick them up in all the mess, in all the gunk. And see, the Holy Spirit wants us to realize that even in the mess and the struggle and all the mess of my life, I never have to be afraid of running to God and calling out Abba, Daddy. And never once will he look at me and go, why don't you get your act together first? She look at this as well, what else does he? We respect him, but we're not afraid of him. We respect him. He says, we, we don't have to fall back into a spirit of fear. Notice he says, fall back. We used to live a life afraid all the time. You don't have to be afraid when God's your father. Now you respect him. And, and as a dad, this is that balance I wanna have all the time. I need my children to respect me, not because I'm so great, but because the role God's given me in their life. And part of that respect is disciplining them. Hebrews says that God's a good father, he disciplines us. So there's a respect that comes out of it. Why does he discipline us? Because he doesn't want our life caught up. We, he doesn't want Ming the tigers running our lives. So he disciplines us to go, hey, you gotta deal with that. But I don't have to be afraid of him. And, and as a dad, I, I struggle with balancing that well. I, I always want to make sure, man, I want them to respect me. I never want my ch children afraid of me. I don't always do this perfectly. Here's what I know God always does. That's why John says, perfect love cast out fear. And he also tells us that God is love. So the God who's perfect love always knows this perfect balance of when he's disciplining me, I always know it's out of perfect love. And I wanna respect him, but I don't ever have to be afraid of him. Look at this, we can talk to him at a heart level. We can talk to him at a heart level. I don't have to just talk about matter of fact level, I can talk very hard. That, that passage in 26 and 27, it says the Holy Spirit searches your heart. Even when you don't know how to pray, he helps you pray. Even when you don't know how to talk to him, he knows what's really going on in your heart. And that's a fascinating verse to me. I, I think about it, especially when I was a teenager, my stepfather was very quiet man and he didn't know really how to carry on a conversation. And I mean this as a fault, but I can remember several times, if it was a matter of fact, if it was about chores around the house, if it was something that needed to be done, something, I, we could talk then. But the few times I would try to kind of open up of like what was going on in my life, I, I can remember it. one time I was just asking him, I said, hey, what would you do here? And he just sat there silently. And then he just stared at me and then he got up. And I had this implicit message, you don't talk to him about these kind of things. 
And, and I think there's a, the heart of every child. Man, you, you wanna be able to share what's really going on. And, and I love that God, our Father, knows this about us so much and he knows we struggle doing this with him that one of the things the Holy Spirit helps us do is discover our own hearts that he knows what's going on. And it says that he shares it with the Father. God cares so much what's going on at a deep level, at a heart level with you, that the Holy Spirit is always mining your heart so that you can talk to him that way, you can open up. I mean, I think about the fact there's on this planet right now, people who are putting themselves through all different rituals and all different ways in order to try to pray to their God. There are people that will bow five times a day and they got to face the right direction. There are people that do all different rituals and sacrifice and they offer all different things. They're doing all these things just to be able to pray to their God. And our God on the flip side of it says, hey, even where you don't know how to pray, I'll search your heart. I'll help you. I'll discover what's really going on because that's what a good dad does. And he's a good father. Final thing, he loves to provide for and even reward his kids. He loves to provide. He, he says in this passage that, that you are sons of God, children of God, co-heirs with Christ. Now, if you're a female, you go, I don't really want to be a son of God. I want to be a daughter of God. He's not being sexist here. Here's what Paul's pointing out. Back in that culture, the only people that got the inheritance were sons. And usually it was the firstborn son that got the bulk of it and everybody else got a little bit. And so he's writing men and women. And you know what he's saying? It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, you get the inheritance too. And not only a part of the inheritance, you're co-heirs with Christ, the firstborn has decided to share all of it with you. I mean, whether you realize it or not, you're one of God's favorites. And he loves to lavish his favorites. Now, as parents, we can't choose favorites because we're so limited. If you choose a favorite, you're rewarding one over the other. But when you're God and you're unlimited, you can make all the kids favorites. And that's the beauty of our God. He treats all of us that way. And, and, and I just would ask that you maybe look at your own heart as you think about that. Because I think for those of us who've been a part of the church for a long time, sometimes we forget all that he's lavishing us with. You know that famous parable of the prodigal son? Remember the story of the prodigal? And you got the one kid who blew it and, and the father who, who wraps his arms around him and loves him and is gracious. We know that. But there's another brother in that story. Remember the other brother? The other brother who did all the right things? The other brother who was always faithful? The other brother, when he sees the party going on, he loses it. He's so mad. And remember what he said? He said, I've been here doing everything I was supposed to do and I didn't get a party. You remember what the father said to him? He said, you're my son. And I remember this line, he says, everything I have is yours. I'd love to celebrate you. You're the one that turned yourself into a servant, not me. I never wanted to relate to you that way. Guys, we need this kind of dad. 
We, we need the kind of dad who wanted us, who welcomes us, who, who we don't have to be afraid of him and we can talk to him at the very heart level who loves to reward us and promises it. And some of you go, well, I'm not as rewarded as others. God's not real worried about the reward on this side of eternity. He's much more concerned that you could enjoy it forever. And so you could trust him with that. But I come back to this ministry of the spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us to experience God as our devoted dad. That's what he's doing in our life. So the question for you, if you don't see God that way, then you need to give the spirit control of those parts of your heart. Is if I, I'm preaching today, and I'm preaching to me, by the way, because I can struggle with this too. Here's what I realized. If I don't see God that way, I could just write it off and go, well, I'm never going to experience God that way. I've got wounds in my life and I've got issues. I didn't have a devoted dad and I didn't have that. So I'm just never going to experience that. God doesn't settle for that. Why should I? And so here's what I have to realize. Oh, there must be parts of my heart that I'm not given the spirit control. Maybe there's wounds I've not dealt with. Maybe there's part of my faith that I really don't have faith that God would love me like that. And so instead of just writing it off as this thing I wish I had, I look at it and go, okay, this is an area. Spirit, you say you lead in these ways, lead me in these ways. And, and maybe you need to even ask him today to lead you fully into seeing and experiencing the dad that God longs to be in your life. Maybe you, you can't even see him this way like Ben because there's so much baggage in the way. Maybe you've never even allowed yourself to go there because it's hard to believe God could love you that much. Guys, when we talk about this leadership of the spirit, here's a practical way to let him lead. That for every single one of us, we'd come and we'd examine and go, God, I don't even know how to approach you as dad in the right way. Will you lead me in that? Will you show me where I'm holding out? Will you show me where I'm confused? Will you give me a heart of faith and a heart of love to be able to experience you as Abba Father, my devoted dad today? Let's pray. Father, I do thank you. I just thank you for this passage. It's so powerful because it speaks at such a deep level for, for all of us. We all long for this. You created us to long for this because you are heavenly father. You're, you're the God who's always been father. You're, you're the perfect father for all eternity. And you made us to long for that in our lives. Lord, I pray for those, even as they hear this, they've been deeply wounded in this life, sometimes by dad, maybe it's been by someone else. And it's hard to really believe you could be this. Lord, I pray that you would help them to put themselves in a posture where the spirit could lead in this part of their lives. Lord, I pray for each of us today that we would rest in the fact that you are Abba Father, our devoted dad, and that we get to share in all the riches of the true firstborn son, Jesus Christ, because of his love for us. And we pray this in his name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.